I have been here to Scarlet City before. This is my second time preaching, third time worshiping with you. And I do love you. I do genuinely, genuinely love you. I love your pastor, uh, Jay O'Brien, and his family. Uh, And what comes to mind when I think about Scarlet City is that you are a generous church. You're generous. You're generous with your time. You're generous with the the space that you've been uh, allowed to worship in. You're generous with your resources. Uh, You're a generous church here in the city. Not only that, you're a gifted church. You guys are really gifted. You have gifted people in your church. And I'm not just talking about the people you see up front, the musicians, the speakers, the, you know, the liturgists. I'm, I'm talking about out there in the congregation, because I know several of you, you are a gifted community. But probably above all things, you're a God-honoring community. You're a God-honoring church. I mean, when I talk to Jay and we, we think about, you know, events or we we think about gatherings, it it always comes back to the centrality of God and his gospel. And it just permeates throughout every area of ministry in this church, that we are going to be God-honoring with what we do. We're going to be God-honoring with our resources. We're going to be God-honoring with our relationships. We're going to be God-honoring in our places of work and business. So I, I do love this church. I've been praying for you guys all week, and not just this week, but throughout the time of my life when prayer comes up. Because not only are you called to be this generous church in the city, not only are you called to be this gifted church, not only are you called to be this God-honoring church, you're also called to be a gap-filling church. If you haven't figured it out, all of those start with the letter G. Because my roots are very deeply Baptist, and everything has to start with some kind of alliteration somewhere so that hopefully you will remember it five minutes after leaving the service. Well, as a gap-filling church, we need to recognize something that we live in an amazing city here in Columbus, Ohio. We are a fast-growing and thriving city, aren't we not? Our suburbs are growing and thriving, and new schools are being added almost each year. Uh, The city received this multi-million dollar uh, grant to update its transportation and and technology, and and, and we'll be seeing some of those things come out as the years come on. And we've been uh, blessed with having the most amazing ice cream in all of the land. I'll leave it to you to debate if that's Graders or Jenny's. I'll leave it to you. But at the same time of our growing diversity and our thriving uh, economy in our city, there are also some gaps that are growing in our city. There are gaps that are growing in our city that lead to despair because the gaps are disparities between the what is and the what should be. If we look at the, the, the city and its makeup all around Columbus, we're blessed with some amazing neighborhoods all throughout the city. But uh, are we aware that those neighborhoods were historically drawn along racial lines and that a history of redlining in the, in the early mid to 1900s discriminated mortgage loans for companies, uh, uh, for communities such as Linden and Milo Grogan? The Vidoc, King Lincoln, places where they would not give loans for home ownership in predominantly African-American neighborhoods. 
Or how about human trafficking? Ohio is the fourth in the nation for reported trips of national human trafficking right here. And we wonder how much more is there to do. There are gaps in our city and in our state. There's gaps in the foster care system where children in in Franklin County right now are awaiting safe haven for a family that will take them in to be a part of family, to have some sense of normalcy, to have some sense of belovedness. There are children who are in the gaps. Drug dependency is uh, climbing, it seems, each month with the opioid epidemic in our city, and people are strung out on drugs. Uh, One thing that burdens me, a gap in our city, is that we have uh, about 1,200 churches in Columbus, Ohio, but fewer than 3% of them are multiracial. A a national average, comparatively speaking, suggests that uh, 11 to 18% of all evangelical churches are multiracial, but somehow in Columbus, Ohio, It is not so. There are gaps in our city. Uh, Mike, uh, there are gaps in our city, in case you weren't aware of it, and these gaps are also in the way we perceive the tragedies and the crises and the circumstances of our city. If you take, for example, the war on drugs, this war on drugs that that started around the 70s and 80s, uh, particularly targeted those who were strung out and dealing illegally substances such as crack cocaine and marijuana. But they attacked communities of black and brown uh, uh, at an uncomfortable, discouraging rate against those who were not black and brown. They criminalized those activities to the point where it increased our prison population, where right now, blacks make up 13% of the population in this country, but 40% of prisons in our country. Something ain't right, y'all. And it ain't right the way we deal with opioids now is that we deal with it in the the sense that there needs to be better care and we need more programs and we need more resources. And those on the other side of that war on drugs say, where was the care and the resources when this was hurting our community? Yes, we do need programs, not just for those who are strung out on opioids, but for crack and marijuana. But now we have major campaigns to legalize marijuana. Isn't that interesting? You could start a brand new business right now of warehousing marijuana so that when it passes, because it likely will pass in this state at some time, now marijuana is legal. There are gaps. There are gaps in the way we perceive these tragedies and crises. There's gaps in the way we handle them. There's gaps in our city along race and class and politics and zip code and employment and graduation rates and access to quality health care. And there's gaps in how we should address it as a people. How do we address injustices? How do we become a more just community when we don't even agree on what justice is. 
when we don't even agree on what injustice is and what it looks like, let alone how to be engaged in it, there's probably no bigger gap in the church than the gap of our theology on justice. I just came back from a trip through the South and visiting monuments and museums and memorials to the civil rights movement. And in Birmingham, we got to visit the place where Martin Luther King was put in jail at a time when he wrote a very long letter to the church at large. And he was calling out for those churches who were not a part of the struggle. He said these words, I have heard so many ministers say those, the civil rights movement, are social issues which the gospel has no real concern. And I have watched so many churches commit themselves to a completely otherworldly religion which made a strange distinction between body and soul, sacred and secular. King was calling for those who were not a part of the struggle to get in the struggle, particularly those Christians, Jesus-following, Bible-believing, Sunday-gathering communities to join in together. Don't tell me that the gospel has no real concern for what is keeping me down. Don't tell me the gospel has no concern when I'm so close to the edge that I might jump over. Don't tell me that the gospel has no concern when I look to the next generation of my children and I see that they need uh, better education, that they need communities where there is diversity so they can flourish as well. Don't tell me that the gospel has no concern because if we do, that gap will become a divide between us and certainly it has. And that gap won't just become a divide, that divide will become disengagement where we won't even engage on the issues anymore because, hey, you see things differently than I do, and hey, how about you do your part over here, and I'll do my part over there, but thanks be to God, right, that we have a Savior who can fill in the gaps. The gaps in our lives, the gaps that are all related to some kind of sin that separates us from God and separates us from one another. You see, the call today is that if you are a follower of Jesus, you've got to know his purpose for why he came. You got to know he didn't just come down so we could make nice jewelry to wear around our necks, huh? He didn't just come so we could upgrade our fashion as a a billboard to the world of how much they need him because we've already got him. No, there is a divide between one another, and this divide is oftentimes in relation to justice. Jesus was the very presence who came into our broken world and to show us what it means to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with our God. And here Jesus, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, he enters into a world and he gives what some have called his state of the union, his inaugural message, his trial sermon, if you will, about what he is and what he means to do. In Luke chapter 4, verse 14, uh, it reads like this, Then Jesus returned to Galilee, filled with the Holy Spirit's power. Reports about him spread quickly through the whole region. He taught regularly in their synagogues, was praised by everyone. 
And when he came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue. And on the Sabbath, he stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah, the prophet, was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, he handed it back to the attendant, and he sat down, and all eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. And Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. The word of the Lord. And the people said, thanks be to God. You see, the big idea right now is that out of the overflow of God's spirit, we are called to close the gaps of social injustice. Out of the overflow of God's spirit, we are called to close the gaps of social injustice. What we got to understand, sisters and brothers, is that there have always been social gaps in our world. And in Jesus' day was no different. He lived in a Roman-occupied Jerusalem. He lived in a religious establishment that kept people out and vied for others to get in. And Jesus entered that Roman-occupied Jerusalem under a Jewish establishment to say that the anointing of God is on me. And this is what God has called me to do to preach the good news to all of the Roman occupiers so that they can increase their occupation. No, he didn't say that. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, and he has anointed me to preach the good news to all of the religious elite so that they can maintain their power and so that others will find it difficult to get to God. No, he didn't say that either. He said that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to preach the good news to whom? The poor, the blind, the captive, the oppressed, the ones who have been suffering under the unjust Roman Empire as well as the Jewish religious establishment. And any other places where people would choose to exercise their power not to free ones and invite ones back into community, but would instead use that power to keep people out. This is the ministry of social justice. This is the ministry of social justice that everything Jesus spoke about was about something that was socially getting people out of the broken uh, systems that have been established to keep them out so that they could become one in community with him and with one another. But how many of us know social justice is a politically charged concept, is it not, huh? It's a politically charged concept that we can't divorce it from its modern-day context. And social justice, if we uh, think of that word politically, it's often used as a rally cry for liberals on the left side of the political spectrum to get involved, to, to do good. Wikipedia, that very great resource, says this about social justice. It is a concept that some use to describe the movement towards a socially just world. Social justice 
according to Wikipedia, is based on the concept of human rights and equality and involves a greater degree of economic egalitarianism through progressive taxation, income redistribution, and property redistribution. And the key word in that whole phrase there is egalitarianism. That, that word is an economic word that suggests that pol politically we all need to be equal. We need to be equal in our political influence, equal in our social upward mobility, equal in our economic distribution, and equal in our rights as human beings living in this government system. And so that word, social justice, when we think about it politically, it causes some to be rubbed the wrong way because it produces systems of social welfare that have been redistributing our taxes and our funds. If you ain't got a job yet, when you look at your pay stub and you see that they are taking money from you, somebody ought to be like, didn't we already fight a revolution where they was taking money from us? Didn't we already do that? What, what, what Taxation without representation. Like, what, what, how, hey, what's, what's going on? But not only did it produce social welfare programs, it produced uh, uh, an ability to address uh, unjust health care. Affirmative action for those who were kept out of places of employment and education, addressing issues of minimum wage. And because of that politicalism of the word social justice, it has kept many conservative evangelicals away. And not just uh, conservative evangelicals, all kinds of Christians are weary of participating in social justice because of a deep-rooted fear of being called a liberal. Oh, man. Them is fighting words. Don't call me no liberal now. Or maybe you will be called a justice seeker, a protest marcher, somebody who is too uh, uh, willing to, to let go of your uh, Christian evangelical roots. And you'll just partner with anybody to go do anything for anybody's good, right? We don't want to be associated with those people. Man, there are literally movements within the body of Christ that are widening the gap of us coming around this social justice issue rather than finding our Christian identity as social justice reformers. A few weeks ago, Pastor John MacArthur, uh, who is a very well-known and established theologian, pastor, and author, launched a, an attack literally on churches that speak about social injustice. Churches that are politically active in the Black Lives Matter campaign or Me Too movement or We Welcome Refugees, all addressing gaps in our racial disparity and our gender inequality and our economic vitality. And MacArthur says that social justice, brothers and sisters, is a distraction from the gospel. And over the course of 14 sections in this very long statement, he says that currently Scripture is being undermined in the area of race and ethnicity and manhood and womanhood and human sexuality. And he argues that it's a secular threat infiltrating God's church. And so far, about 7,000 signatures have been recorded. 7,000 pastors, teachers, theologians, and everyday people like you and me who agree that social justice is a peripheral issue and not a central issue to who God is. 
It's as if it's a slap in the face to the Indian Removal Act that took Native Americans from their land and, I was going to say gave it, but it was taken away from them. Or the Chinese Exclusion Act that excluded Chinese people from coming into this country because we want to make sure that we can maintain a certain degree of purity in the country. Or Japanese internment camps where where Japanese American citizens were placed in internment camps in our country during World War II because we couldn't trust them. There weren't German internment camps, though, for German Americans. When we wrestle with the reality that our idea of social justice is sometimes used to promote our own agenda rather than Christ's agenda, we have to ask ourselves, are we truly being central to the gospel? Or are we truly being central to some other ideology that raises us up and helps us to maintain our power and control? It hasn't always been that way, though, church. There's been many examples where the church was on the forefront of social reform. They led the abolitionist movement. They led the reform on child labor laws. They led the initiative to get voting rights for women. They led those initiatives because they believed in the centrality that we are all created in the image of God. And to do any injustice against any human being is to do an injustice against our creator who made us and forms us shapes us to do his good work. But now in the 20th century uh, and 21st century, uh, we have moved away from that uh, view and vision of doing social justice. And we've towed a party line with politics that says we should be on one aisle or the other. And let me be clear, I don't care what aisle you're on. I don't care what side you are on politically. I don't give any judgment against that because that has very little to do with your Christian identity. The politics aside should not keep you from living into the newness of what it means to be a follower of Christ. And I believe there's a generation, a younger generation, who are saying, who cares about the labels? We see the brokenness. And we need to do something about it. And young people, what you ought to know is that social justice is a Christian agenda, not a liberal one. It is not a political platform. It is a unique and Christian value. Listen to these words from the book of Proverbs, chapter 28, verse 5. Evil men, it says, evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Let me say that again. Evil men do not understand justice, but those who seek the Lord understand it completely. Does that feel right to you? That thing that Solomon said, that Augustine agreed with, that Hume and Locke and Spurgeon and King and Tutu, they all agree with, and thousands of other deep thinkers since the beginning of our church have said and tried to nail down that to know God is to know justice. To do justice is to do the will of God. See, the gospel and social justice are not devoid or divided from one another. They are closely related because of this. Number one, God is a God of justice. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 4, he says, My way is always justice, watch this, to the foreigner, 
to the fatherless and to the poor. He says, when you think of the way forward, it is not to take advantage of those people, whoever those people may be, but it is to bring them in because my way is justice, is just who I am. Secondly, justice is the way we introduce God. If you want to introduce God to somebody, introduce God through the language of justice. Matthew 25, 40, he says, I stand, literally, I stand with the fringes of society, the outcasts, the least among us. And whatever you do, he says, whatever you do to the least of these, you have literally done it to me. Whatever you do to the least of these, the infringed, those who are poor, those of a different skin tone, those of a different economic base and community, those who don't speak the same language as you, whatever you do to the least of these, he says, you have done it to me. You want to introduce God to the world, introduce him through the language of justice because Jesus himself says, that's me. That's who I am and who I identify with. So God is a God of justice. Justice is the way we introduce God. And thirdly, true religion acts justly. I don't know how God-honoring, faithful believers of Jesus Christ can overlook James chapter 1, verse 27. Pure religion and undefiled. Pure religion and undefiled is to do this, take care of the widow, embrace the orphan. I don't know how, how, you, how your religion cannot include caring for the widow, the fatherless. I, I don't know uh, what kind of religion you really got if you ain't got a religion. That's right, I said it that grammatically correct. Uh, I don't know what kind of religion you got if you ain't got a religion Acts justly. Jesus says, hey, in this male-dominated society, in this family-orientated society, I want you to know what it means to have pure religion. It is to take care of women and to be a father to the fathers. Do you know God that way? Do you know God that is a God of justice? That is, he identifies with those on the fringe of society that true religion acts justly? Or have you separated the gospel from justice? Has it become a peripheral issue for you and not central? Because it's not for God. It is central to God's mission because it is who he is. And I also want you to know, Scarlett, that no other God in any religious institution stands with the poor the way our God does. No other God lifts up the value of the widow like our God does. No other God validates the personhood of the orphan or the immigrant or the outcast like our God does. And in a world that is uh, quote-unquote, spiritual but not religious, they need a church that can introduce them to a God who cares. They need a church that will introduce them to a God who says it ain't right to be treated unjustly and that I will 
use my voice to speak up for those who do not have one. You are called Scarlet, as is Sanctuary Columbus, as is Veritas, as is Vineyard, as is Northland Lutheran Christian Church of America, as in all of the churches here in Columbus, all 1,200 of them, to do justice and to close the gap. I might sound a little animated right now because I'm excited about this topic because I believe that we have been given a charge, a charge that we haven't taken too seriously, a charge that we kind of just leave to the professionals. I'll leave that to Pastor, you know, Jay, Mike, Jacob, anybody else that got a pastor title? Or how about I leave it to the deacons, you know, deacon, fill in the blank. Or we'll leave it to those parachurch organizations, you know, the ones that, that all do good stuff. We'll just leave it to them. And we have not embraced that, that justice in all that we do and in who we are is what God has called us to be. I could talk forever about this, but let me give you three more things to close the gap. And then I promise you I will bring this message to a close. Because in order to close the gap, social justice must include equal treatment. Let's stay biblical. Leviticus 24, 22, it says, you, have, you are to have the same law for the foreigner and the native born. I am the Lord your God. He said, no different laws. Wait a minute. I thought God was establishing Israel to be his own people. And, and you know, everybody, no, he says, listen, no different laws for the foreigner and the native born. We're all supposed to fall under the same scale. No different laws for the natives and the refugees. No different scale of acceptance for those who are Israel, those who are not. Every human being is called into living this new reality, and we have to do that by giving equal treatment. But equal treatment is not enough. In order to close the gap, we also need to give special concern. We need equal treatment. We also need special concern. In Proverbs 31, 8, and 9, I'll send these out to Jay, and, and you guys can have them later. Uh, speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, it says. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and the needy. Who has the power to defend the rights of the poor and the needy? Those who are not poor, those who are not needy. Who has the voice to speak up for those who are not being judged fairly? Those for whom justice acts in their favor and not in the favor of others. Who has the freedom, the power, the authority to speak out for those who are destitute? Those who are not destitute. Who has the real power and authority to speak out for those women and men who are being trafficked, those who are not being trafficked? Who has the freedom and right and the power to speak out for those children who aren't getting adequate education in our very public school system, those who have the access to the good schools, the good books, the great teachers, the phenomenal principal who believes that they can and they should and that they will? 
You see, before I became a preacher, I was a full-time teacher in an impoverished community in Newport News, Virginia. They called it Bad News, Virginia, because is where Allen Iverson was from. Anybody remember Allen Iverson, Michael Vick? Yeah, crazy. But I became a teacher because I volunteered in a school that saw perpetually African-American boys moved to the back of the classroom and not given the same level of attention as the other kids in the classroom. And it reminded me when I was in eighth grade how the teacher moved this little black boy to the back of the classroom. I was a straight-A student. Why am I getting moved to the back? And then the following year, I was tracked into a, a lower education classroom, a, a remedial English class when I should have been placed in a gifted class. There was something unjust about that education system, and, and I felt something was wrong, and so I went to my mom and my dad, and I said, this ain't right. I approached the teacher. I said, this ain't right. But everybody doesn't have the power or the authority or the wherewithal to do that. Somebody needs somebody else to speak up for them. Not only that, social justice is closing the gap with audacious generosity. I said before that you're a generous church. I want to encourage you to be even more generous. I'm encouraging you to, to see equal treatment in your places of work and business and play, to give special concern for those who don't have a voice for themselves, and to be audaciously generous. In Isaiah 58, 6, it says, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and to untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Verse 7, is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide the poor wanderer with shelter? And when you see the naked to clothe them and to not turn away from your own flesh and blood, To not help the poor, to not help those who are suffering under the effects of injustice, is not just stingy, it's not just selfish, it's unjust. It is unjust to turn a blind eye. It is unjust to not ask the Lord, Lord, what do you want me to do? How would you help me to be engaged here? How can I keep this conversation going? Because to close the gap is to do what is on the very heart and the character and the mind of God. And we are the church that Jesus left this responsibility to. He says to you, Scarlet City, the Spirit of the Lord is upon you. And he has anointed you to preach the good news to the poor. To let the blind know that they can see to set the captives free. He's given that responsibility to you, but he hasn't given it to you alone. Thanks be to God, he's given it to all of us. Can you imagine if, if, if only a, per, a small percentage of churches right here in Columbus, Ohio, will begin to work together for a more just community and a more just city? 
What, what would happen if Scarlet City started to, to partner with Sanctuary and, and partner with Veritas and partner with Vista and, and partner with Second Baptist and partner with New Salem and, and partner with uh, First Church of God? What would happen if we all started to partner together because we said we are one church called to lift up the name of Jesus and put down injustice in our city? What would happen? Let me tell you what would happen. We would have more just education in our schools because we would have Christian followers of Jesus who believe that every child could, should, and will learn and gain an adequate education. But not just teachers, but principals, and not just principals, but a city council, and not just a city council, but a state and local government that said it must be so because God demands it. We would know that there would be a fewer number of women who are trafficked in and through our city because we said it must not be so. Because God has called us to a, a higher living standard because it reflects his heart. That we would see even more multi-ethnic and multi-racial churches because of the history that has been dividing us. We say it must not be so. We will be people of the dream because God has closed the gap by sending down his son Jesus to put his foot in a gap in my own life called sin and pride and segregation and discrimination and prejudice and all kinds of other issues that keep us from being related to him. God says, no, I put my foot down right in there when I sent my son Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ put his foot in the gap. Hallelujah, somebody. Jesus closed the gap in our society because he got down deep in there with us. He got down deep in there with us in our sin, and when we were pulled into despair, he said it must not be so. When we get despairing about the injustices we face in our own personal lives, he says it must not be so. I have already paid the price for the injustices of the world. All you have left to do is live into this new just society. Live into this new just kingdom that I've already established because the spirit of the Lord is upon you and the spirit of the Lord is upon you and God has placed you in your job. God has placed you in your neighborhood. God has placed you in your school so that you could display and reflect the character of God's justice. Thanks be to God that he already closed the gap in our lives. Paul, the writer of Corinthians, said this, and I want you to meditate on this as we prepare our hearts for receiving communion. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, he says, for you, you know, you who already follow Jesus, you, you who call yourselves people of the way, Christians, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. He stepped in the gap so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. If you're thinking in your meditation about, Lord, how do I apply this to my life? Let me suggest that you memorize and meditate on Luke chapter 4, verse 18 through 19. That you know, apart from the Spirit, it won't get done. We've, we've been trying to do this thing for a long time and for many generations. And we've tried politics. We, you know, we've, tried, we've tried redistribution. We've tried all kinds of things. But how about, Lord, 
I see you anointing me. Secondly, I want to challenge you to call to mind neighbors, anyone near you, who may be victimized by injustice, and ask the Lord, Lord, how, how, how might I be an advocate for them? Help, help me, Lord God, to see them the way you see them and to hear their story and to be impacted by it so that I may be a more compassionate follower. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to become aware of social injustice. I want you to become aware of it by listening to people who are not in the dominant culture. Because the dominant culture creates a narrative of social justice that leaves those who are outside of the dominant culture outside of justice. That, that's what breaks my heart about John MacArthur's stance and the 7,000 people who signed it. They only are listening to those who are in the dominant culture, who are maintaining the power and uh, institutions and places of control that keep people like me, quite honestly, out. You oftentimes may not find the voice advocating for those who are affected by injustice in the dominant culture. I want to ask you to be willing to listen to other voices. Be willing to listen to other voices and ask the Lord, help me get it right. Let us pray. I've talked way too much. Father, I do get passionate about this because my heart breaks for places, systems of injustice. My heart also breaks, Lord God, when I see these places and systems of injustice and I feel helpless, like I'm only one man, I'm only one person, I've only got one church. God, how can I do this? And so, Lord, when I am impacted by the overwhelming, almost insurmountable places of injustice, I need to come to you. I need to come to you and say, Lord, where have I held injustice in my own heart? And I need to turn away from that and turn to you. And God, I need to ask myself, Lord, who are the friends, who are the fellow believers that can join with me in this? I can receive strength because I know it comes from you and through the body of Christ. It's in your name that I pray. Amen.